morning. Good to be with you all this morning. When I was uh, about like 19 years old, I made, I made my parents very proud um, when I dropped out of college to move to Philadelphia to play drums in a, in a rock band. <laughs> it was awesome. They were so happy. I'm like, I know, I'm, a, I know I'm, I'm having a good college life and all that kind of stuff, but here's the thing, Mom, I'm, I'm going to go do this. Oh, they were just like, way to go, son. It was great. Anyway, I'm not here to share with you my childhood issues, um, but I will tell you was when I was in Philadelphia, you know, God, God has amazing ability to work in spite of us sometimes, you know. So while I was, while I was there, because I, I grew up going to church, my dad's a pastor, many of you have met him, some of you heard him preach, um, so I heard a lot of sermons growing up. I, I, you know, went to summer games, church camp, did all the churchy things that, you know, people do. And I knew about the Bible. I read the Bible kind of here and there as I was sort of forced to and made to. But it wasn't until I was in Philly uh, where I really found myself, like, in love with God's Word. And what happened was I started going to, to churches trying to find a place that I could fit in, you know, and, which was kind of difficult for me. But I found this church, and... All that happened in this church was we would worship God just like we did this morning. Uh, and then Pastor Joe, his name was Joe, um, he would come out and he would sit on a stool and he would just open his Bible and say, okay, last week we were in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Today we're going to be in, looking at 6 through 13. And he'd begin to just teach us through the Bible. And they started doing that and it took them nine years to get through the entire Bible and when they get through it, they start over again. And it kind of became this, this deal for this church. It's called Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia. It was an amazing, amazing experience. And the reason why I'm telling you all that is because what I learned there was, you know, these were big doses of, of teaching. We'd, we'd sit there, and we'd have Sunday morning, we'd have Sunday night, and then we'd have Wednesday night. And then I'd go to a small group on Monday night, too. And each one of those, those opportunities were, you know, maybe 45-minute sermons, somewhere an hour. The, the Wednesday night one was 90 minutes of just going through the Bible. It took nine years. So if we do this in half the time, we're going to be 18 years going here at First Night Methodist. But what I learned was this. It wasn't until I kind of jumped in to studying the Bible, not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible, that I began to, to feel this, this appetite for it grow up within me. It's like a lot of things that we do in life, isn't it? I mean, think about when you're learning to do something brand new. When you're first figuring it out, it, it might be kind of awkward, kind of difficult, kind of hard to, to learn right away. Like think of a new hobby that you started or a new exercise program or something. That initial shock to your system, once you begin to experience the rewards of it, it you just jump right in and, you, and you're, you're hooked. And that's how it was with me uh, out there. So when I, I'm excited basically about the way that we're going to move through this sermon series in John because it's much the same way. And, and of course, I've known Mike Morgan for years. And I knew that when I came here that Mike was a guy who, who really had a high view of the scripture. And as he talked last week, you know, this is a church where we study the Bible. And we're going to do that even more so with, with John's gospel because part of our, of our 2015 and 2014 plan is to cultivate spiritual disciplines. <clears throat> and the spiritual discipline that we're talking about right now is, is studying scripture. So we've got a little plan, um, because we're Methodists, there has to be a method, right, for us to study scripture together. And beyond uh, the, the weekly sermons, and, and I encourage you, by the way, to read ahead when you, when you come. You know, when I was in Philly, I would read the text every week before I went to church so that I knew what was going to be talked about. And I knew with my, I had my own questions in my mind, I thought, okay, what's he going to do with this? 
do that. But in addition to that, we have some other opportunities for you. And you've heard Pastor Mike talk about uh, the version Bible app. It's, it's simply a device or on your device that allows you to go through the Bible in different plans. And starting on January 18th through the end of February, we as a church together are going to be going through some, some of those plans. So uh, I know our staff is doing it right now. <clears throat> it's pretty cool because with version, you can interact with people in the community online. So you have friends and stuff like that that you can uh, make comments to and highlight verses and they can see what you're doing. So if you haven't downloaded that onto your phone or your iPod or whatever your device might be, I'd encourage you to do that. Or you can just go to the computer. It's www.bible.com. It doesn't get any easier than that. And then for those of you that just say, I have no access to anything digital, we will have printed copies available for you next week. So it's an opportunity for you to really dig into that. And I encourage that because our sermons are way better when God's involved, okay? When God's involved. And I don't mean with us, but I mean with you. Because Pastor Mike, our, our words really are just words. You know, there's nothing that Mike or I can say that can transform your life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit coming through these words, the word of God that can transform your life. So no matter what we do, we know that without God's help, it's ultimately going to be meaningless. And, and our sermons will sound a lot better and make a lot more sense if in your mind you've begun to dig deeper into the text and really allow it to sink into your heart. So that's what's coming, and I'm excited to, to tell you about that. I also wanted to just throw out this real quick, that today at 4.30, um, <clears throat> we're going to be meeting here at the church to head to Davenport for our next Haiti informational meeting. The next trip in ha to go to Haiti is March 13th through the 20th, I believe, around that time. And uh, today we're going to be going to Davenport to have the informational meeting. And I know there's a few of us that are going to gather here um, at, this, at, this, uh, at this location to drive together. I know Pastor Mike's going on this trip. It's, it's going to be a great time and lots of awesome ministries. So if you're considering that, come today. You're not, if you come today, it doesn't mean you're obligated to go on the trip. Um, but it is an opportunity for you to find out some more information about it. So if you're interested, that's out there. And then also one more thing, and then we're going to jump into John, is on January 28th, uh, this event that we're having right here in the sanctuary on Wednesday night at 730, it's called 412, hashtag premiere. This is part of our 175th anniversary celebration of our church. And this particular celebration is focused around our youth and the future of the church. But I'll give you a disclaimer. I'm, I'm, I'm the person that, that hates when people say the youth are the future of our church. Because if they're there or here, then that means they're part of our church right now. So, but we will be talking about what we mean when we say the future of our church. And here's the cool thing. Is you are all invited to come to this event. It's going uh, to be awesome, incredible worship. A lot like what happens at Summer Games. So it's going to be right here at 730 on the 28th. Come. And my job for you that I have is I want you to encourage these kids. I want you to encourage them. I want you to just let them know how much you love them and how excited you are about them. And then I want you to reach out and welcome their parents who will be coming too. Because we've extended an invitation to them. And a lot of their parents don't go to church or don't go to this church. And, and we, we were looking at this as an opportunity for us as a congregation to reach out to them. <clears throat> so please plan on coming that night. If you need to sit in the back because it's too loud, we understand. Um, but just come and... and, and uh, support the young people, and, and experience an amazing night of, of worship together. So, let's look into John chapter 1, 
and, and look at these words because we're ready to dig in. We're ready to see what God's word has for us. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he talked about Jesus, how everything that was made was made through Jesus, how he's the creator. And now he's become one of us. He's come down from heaven to be one of us. And, and John's writing these words as a man, an old man now, who has been there and seen this. He didn't, he's not that old. He didn't see the creation of the world. But he was, he was there when Jesus began his public ministry. He was one of Jesus' original disciples, and he was the last surviving disciple. All the others had been martyred for their faith, and yet John alone remained. It wasn't because they didn't try to kill him, because the emperor Domitian had John lowered into a cauldron of boiling oil to be executed, except for the fact that he didn't die. So instead, he, he banished him to the island of Patmos, and it was on that island where he was given the revelation of the apocalypse, which is the last book of our scripture. John also wrote three other books. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, and that's right, 3 John. And uh, I almost said 5 John to see who was awake. But John is an old man looking back on his life with Jesus, looking back on his experiences, having gone through the highs and the lows of what life brings and what leadership brings and what faith brings. He's seen the resurrection but he also saw the crucifixion. He saw his friends killed for their faith. But he also saw the church explode. And, and as he's no doubtedly preparing for his own death, he's writing these words to us because he doesn't want, he doesn't want anything to be lost. Now he knows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are already there. And he knows the epistles are there. But John has his unique perspective because the scripture tells us that John had a special place in Jesus' heart. As a matter of fact, as we read more, we'll see John refers to himself in his gospel, not by name, but he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because, because we know that he was by far the youngest disciple. <clears throat> so Jesus took him under his wing and shepherded him and brought him to faith and nurtured him. So now John writes these words, not of himself, but of another John, John the Baptist, of which Mike will spend more time talking about next week. But he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. And here in verse 7, we see the reason why John writes. We see that he's not writing just to give a historical uh, information or background. He's writing with an agenda, and his agenda is this, that all might believe. That's why he's writing what he's writing. That's why he's telling these stories. He wants you to believe in Jesus. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world did not recognize him. Let's talk for a minute about why. Why wouldn't the world recognize him? What does John mean when he says the world did not recognize him? You know, I would say you could add to that and say the world does not recognize Jesus. Think about that. John's speaking about the, the, the systems of this world and, and in many ways the humans of this world. You know, the world didn't recognize Jesus. And, and, and it's interesting because others recognized Jesus. Did you know that? The demons recognized Jesus. When, when Jesus confronted a demon-possessed man in a, in, a, in a cemetery, 
As soon as Jesus came on the scene, the demons inside this man immediately knew who Jesus was. And they knew that they had to submit to his authority. So they begged him not to cast them back to which they came, but instead to cast them into the pigs. Everywhere Jesus interacted with demons, they instantly knew who he was. So keep that in mind right now this morning. It just occurred to me that when I don't recognize Jesus because of the demons in my life, he already knows them and they know him. The, the wind and the waves recognized Jesus. When, when the disciples were gathered in the boat and, and, and John was with them, of course, and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and a great storm overcame them and they were fearing for their life, Jesus was laying there asleep. So they wake him up and say, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Don't you care that we're going to die? You ever pray that prayer in the midst of a storm in your life? What's wrong with you, Jesus? Where are you at? This is a crazy storm in my life. Don't you care about what's going on in my life? And Jesus wakes up and he, he says, I got this. That's my paraphrase. And he raises his arms and the storms are calmed. And they said to themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The dead recognized Jesus. Jairus' daughter, who they were mourning, Jesus went to her and he said to her simply this, arise. He didn't have to say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, here's the proof, here's the Old Testament prophecies, here's how I fulfilled them, and you know, hey, I really want you to think about this for a while, I'm really, you should really come back to life. He simply just said to her, arise, and she recognized him, as did his friend Lazarus, who was dead in the tomb. The stone was rolled away, and Jesus cried, Lazarus, come forth. The dead recognized Jesus, the demons, the wind, and the waves, but why doesn't and didn't the world? Why? If you look ahead a little bit in chapter 3 of John's gospel, he, he recounts this conversation that Jesus has with a, a religious leader named Nicodemus who came to talk to Jesus about these things, but he came at night because he was afraid. And, and, and Jesus, he, he shares the answer with him. He says in, in chapter 3, whoever believes in him, meaning himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son this is the verdict light has come into the world but and here's the key right here if you see that but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. See, the issue with why people don't recognize Jesus has nothing to do with lack of information. It has nothing to do with lack of information. It's not because people don't believe in God. Because the fact is, most people do. You know, despite the secularization of our society and culture, over 90% of people would tell you, if you ask them, that they believe in God. But yet, why do so many people fail to recognize Jesus? You know, it's not because we, we don't have knowledge. It's because we have a desire to not follow Jesus. It's an issue of willingness to submit our lives to God. It's not an issue of not knowing enough. You know, we know things all the time, don't we? That doesn't necessarily mean we obey them, right? I mean, cigarette, cigarette packs have warnings all over them, right? Do you think anybody smoking cigarettes is like, hey, wait a second, I thought this thing was going to help me get in better shape. What's the deal? 
Nobody thinks that, right? They know. You, you know that if you eat that sixth piece of pizza at lunchtime, you're going to feel it in your gut later that day, right? But you do it anyway because it's so good, right? I knew yesterday, I had plenty of information yesterday to know that if I wanted to meet my goal of cleaning my garage, that watching two complete football games was not going to accomplish that goal. And yet my garage is still not clean. The games were good though, weren't they? You see what I'm saying here? You make choices, don't you? Based on the information that you have, and sometimes even when you're given the proper information, you still do what's wrong. It's called being a human being, right? It's called sin. And what Jesus is saying is this, the reason why people stay in their darkness is because they love it. Because they don't want to come out. Because they've, they've chosen darkness over light. Not because we're unaware. And, and that's universal. Did you know the Bible tells us in Romans that God's creation is so demonstrative of his existence that there's no human being that's ever lived in this world that can say, well, I didn't know there was a God. You know, our, our society, we're, we're, we're so advanced and we're so, we're so smart, aren't we? Or so we think, that we can describe the universe at the subatomic level in ways that people would have never dreamed of 50 years ago. And yet for all of our brilliance, for all of our achievements, for all of our advancement, we sometimes miss the obvious truth that this universe is a creation. See, physicists and scientists can tell you so much about the universe. They can tell you the nature of it. They can tell you a lot about the what. But what they can't tell you is the why. They can't tell you why. They can describe all sorts of things about creation and about this and that and about the universe and all these things. But nobody can say, well, why does it exist? <clears throat> nobody. Apart from God. Apart from God. See, the Bible shows us that, that it's plain and it's clear. God has made himself known to us by the fact that we even exist. And it's interesting that God doesn't get into the, to the what. He doesn't describe all the intricacies. He leaves that to us, right? But he simply tells us the why, and he shows us that that's light, and we should believe. But it says that people love darkness more than light. That's why people run from God, right? You ever hear that expression? Oh, they're running from God. And usually talking about a person who's been a believer, a, a Christian, and then for whatever reason, they backslide, we call it that way. Whatever you want to refer to as, as walking with God and then turning your back on God and walking away. Most people that I talk to in that situation aren't there because they woke up one morning and something happened that caused them to doubt the existence of God, okay, more than normal. Most people are there because, if we're honest, there's something going on in their life that they love more than Jesus and they don't want to let it go. That's the honest truth, isn't it? So they run from God because they know that God shines that light on them and says, hey, wait a second, you can't have darkness and light in the same place. The definition of darkness is the absence of light. They don't coexist together, as Mike uh, masterfully explained to us last week. Jesus and sin is light and darkness, and the two do not mix. But oftentimes we try to mix them, don't we? We want to have it both ways. We want to have the light of Christ available to us when we want to see something or when we want to feel its warmth or when we want something revealed to us or we need to be comforted or nurtured. Then we want the light of Christ. 
But the minute that that light of Christ shines on that darkness in our heart that we love more, we want to shut it down. We want to protect it. We want to say, don't go there, pastor. We want to say, don't talk about that issue. Don't speak about those things. Don't press in on my life like that. Because we want to hide it. We want to protect it. We want to keep it away. And what John's gospel is saying is that's not real faith. That's not what it means to have the light shine on you. Because God's light can't be controlled by human beings. It can't be modified. It can't be contained. It can't be directed. It just shines everywhere on everyone who would stay in it. Listen to these words that John writes later in his life in in 1 John. He wrote these words. He says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. John wrote that in 1 John 3, 6. Then he also writes in 1 John 5, 5, 18, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. One who was born of God, one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. You see, the gospel calls you out of your sin. It calls you out of your darkness because you can't have both ways. Just like you can't be soaking wet and dry at the same time. You can't be married and single at the same time. You can't be Methodist and Presbyterian at the same time, right? Just made that one up, Pastor Mike. <clears throat> See, God loves you just as you are, you know. He does. People say, well, doesn't God love me? Yeah, of course. Of course God loves you. He loves you just as you are. But because he loves you, he calls you out of your darkness. If you truly love somebody and they're stumbling around in the darkness, is it loving to just go, well, I guess you must like that. It's all good. No, love is truth. And love helps people. Love reveals truth to people so that they can live in the light. Because if you don't believe as a Christian that it's better to live in God's light than to live in the world's darkness, then what are you doing? What are you doing? See, Jesus loves you enough to shine that light on you and to call you into it. That doesn't mean that you're going to live a perfect life. It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden now you, you, you don't do anything ever wrong. But what it does mean is this. It means that, that your heart's desire is to open yourself up to God in every way. And that when God shines his light on some part of your life, that you expose it to him. And you walk out of it. That's what it means. But it's hard sometimes when you're in darkness to be able to do that. Talk to anybody who's ever been through, through addiction problems, and they'll tell you, man, you know, it's like when you're in that darkness, it's like you can't breathe, you can't move, you can't see your way through it. That's why it's awesome that this happens externally. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it's something that God does to us. He shines that light on us. So ask yourself, is that me? Do I let God's light shine on, on all parts of my life, or do I keep it hidden? You see, if you're a person that's like, no, I just do what I want and whatever, then that reveals one of two things. It reveals, number one, that you never really have let God's light shine on you, and you never truly have become born again. Or secondly, it means that, you know, you've got some discipline coming. Because there's all sorts of people who, who 
claim to be Christians or think that they're Christians or have a wrong understanding about what it means to be a Christian, and, and, and they live in darkness, and they just go, well, I, I don't know. Well, maybe just because we're, we're, we're good church people doesn't mean that we're truly disciples. That's what we keep saying all the time. It's not about being a church member or going to church even. It's about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, about being a child of God. Now, if you are that, of course you'll want to be a church member. Of course you'll come to church. But just because you sit here, what do you say all the time? Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a french fry, right? Maybe you haven't been exposed to God's light and received it. I I want you to think about that. One of my friends who's in youth ministry, I I told her right when she first got into youth ministry, I said to her, one of your greatest gifts that you can give to your students is to show them if they really aren't Christians when they think that they are. I said, well, isn't that mean? No. It's incredibly loving. It's incredibly loving to reveal to someone that they're deceived in thinking that they're really Christians when they're not. Because our culture has showed us that being a Christian isn't about God's light. It's about what, whether you are a member of a church or whether you're a good person or whether you have, you know, done some ritualistic thing like be baptized or whatever. But that's not what the Bible says. We'll talk about that in a moment. So maybe you haven't ever really truly Giving your life to Christ. Or secondly, maybe there's discipline coming. You know, the Bible says that God chastises those whom he loves. That he disciplines his sons and his daughters because he loves us. And what that means is this. That if we stray away into darkness, God does what's necessary to bring us back. And oftentimes that's a painful experience, isn't it? Now, I think it's wrong to look at people's lives and try to call that out in people. Because not all suffering is the result of God's discipline. Sometimes suffering is the result of doing what God wants you to do. But all sin will lead to that, I would say that. And if you want to just kind of say to God, okay, I'll do my own thing, God, and you're truly his son or his daughter, you you better prepare yourself because pain is coming. And God will, 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 will do what he can to correctively bring you back. So the world doesn't recognize him. Because its will is to love darkness more than light. And I know what you might think. Okay, well then I guess I just have to have willpower, Pastor Keith. New Year's resolutions, right? How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? Okay, right here. Okay, I'm supposed to start working out again. Did it once last week. (laughs) But I'm busy, right? Yeah. It's not about will. It's not about your willpower. It's about your heart. It's about what you love or who you love the most, right? And Jesus says that men love darkness rather than light. It's time to start learning to love the light more than our darkness. But that's difficult if you've been a person who's hidden there a long time, isn't it? Because when you've hidden there, it kind of feels safe. And you feel like, okay, no one can see me, no one can touch me. But we saw earlier, you know, God sees everything. And you're not safe. You're not hidden. You're not protected. You're exposed. You're on your own. So come into the light. The world didn't recognize him. But he, 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 goes, he goes on to say that he came to his own, right? And his own did not receive him. Well, who were his own? His own were the Jews, the people of Israel. And they didn't receive him either. Now why? Why would people who have supposedly been waited, waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to arrive... And who had all these prophecies and all these scriptures that talked about Jesus, everything ready to go. How could they miss him, right? 
Well, first of all, it's probably because they had unmet expectations of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't live up to the, to the hype for them. Because what were the Jews most concerned about? Holy living with God at the center of their heart? Absolutely not. What they were concerned about was their land, right? They wanted their land back. They had occupying forces from Rome that were, were taxing them heavily and regulating their lives. And the Jews believed that God had given them this promised land and it was theirs and they were to reign from it. And yet because of their rebellion to God, they had been, they had been punished by having these occupying forces in their land. And they thought the Messiah was going to come and give them their land back and give them their power. And that was the expectation. Make us like the, the days of King David, right? And Jesus comes, and, and you want to know how many words Jesus says about getting their land back? Zero. He didn't care about that. He cared about their heart. Jesus came and said, said hey, you're supposed to love your enemies. The Jews didn't love their enemies. He says, you're supposed to pray for those who persecute you. They didn't do that. And they didn't want to. So their, their expectations of what Jesus was going to do for them were sorely unmet. How about you? Do, do you have expectations of what Jesus is supposed to do for you that are unmet? You know? Be honest about it. We probably all do at some level because we still hold on to this idea somehow in our mind that because I think it's just part of being, you know, a person that if we do what we're supposed to do, things are always going to work out the way we want them to. And if you become a Christian, if you have God on your side, then even more so. But it doesn't work that way, does it, you guys? Remember, John was the only guy who made it to be an old man from his friends that lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus. The rest of them all got killed. Unmet expectations will destroy your faith faster than anything. So it's okay to have expectations. But the key is, who gets to make those expectations? You've got to let God make those expectations. Secondly, they had their religious presuppositions. You know, they took their, their religious texts, the Old Testament, and from those religious texts, they, they assumed or presumed some things about God and about the Messiah that weren't necessarily correct. And because Jesus didn't live up to their theology or their religious belief, he couldn't have been the Messiah. And that's still how they believe about Jesus today, by the way. You know, Jesus himself says, look, you have the scriptures, you have the scriptures, but you don't know anything about them because they testify about me, he said. Having the scriptures isn't enough. You've got to see where they're leading. And then, you know, of course, we know that the Jews didn't receive them ultimately because of their lack of faith. Jesus is constantly walking around Israel, scratching his head at the lack of faith of his own people. So the world doesn't receive Jesus because... It loves darkness rather than light. The Jews don't receive Jesus because of all these things. But here's the good news. He says that to those who did, and that's us, and others like us who've received Jesus, he says he's given something to them. He's given an opportunity to those who do receive. He gives the opportunity, he gives the authority, and he gives the right to become what? children of God you've been given this opportunity you've been given the opportunity he's given you the truth he's given you the light and said look you have a choice to make you can do this you have a chance to step into the light what are you going to do well I can't pastor it's just too hard I don't know there's too much stuff in my life no you've been given the authority to do so 
Because remember, the demons knew who Jesus was before you ever did. Those demons in your life that you think are more powerful than you are and you think are more stronger than your faith, they, they know they have to submit to Jesus. They know that. Do you know that they have to? Do you know that? He gives you the authority to step into that light. When, you're, when your lifelong struggle with addiction says, nope, you have to stay here. When your, when your battle with depression says, no, you have to stay here. When, when your shame over your past sin says, no, you have to stay here. When, when the pleasures of the world entice you away and say, we're way too strong for you. You have to come to us. You say, no, you don't. I have the authority in Jesus Christ and I can step into the light because I am his son or I am his daughter. You have that authority. You have that power. He gives you the right to do so. These are his words. Your belief gives you these things. So use them. Use them. Because when you do, what happens next is that you're born again. Born of God. And as we read here, he says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Not of natural descent means that you're not a Christian or born of God because your parents passed it down to you genetically. It doesn't matter what your parents are. It doesn't mean that you're going to be that. This isn't about being German or being Irish. This is about a personal faith in Christ. And your parents can't, as much as they'd like to, they can't impart that to you genetically. They can raise you in the church. They can train you in righteousness. And there's benefit there. And this is good news because this means that even if you're from the wrong side of town, you can have Jesus. Even if you're not a Jew, you can have Jesus. Even if you're not of a, of a particular nationality, you can have Jesus. Because Jesus has come for all people. He's come for all. His light shines on all. Regardless of your, of your nationality or heritage or whatever you've been through in your life, Jesus has come to shine the light on you. Not of human decision, which means that no one can persuade you. You don't go, oh, okay, it makes sense to me. This. No, you weren't argued into the faith. And, and not... Of anything other than this, that you're born of God, which means that it's from God. It's from God. While you and I were stumbling and the rest of the world stumbling through darkness, God shined his light on the world through Jesus. This was external to anything that we did. Remember from a little town of Bethlehem, this all happens while we're doing what? While we're sleeping. While we're sleeping, Jesus does this. While we're sleeping. See, I don't know much about physics and science. I know we got science teachers in here and others that know a lot more about it than I do. But from what I've noticed about the way darkness and light work, there's nothing inherent inside pure darkness that in and of itself can spontaneously create light. I've never seen that happen. I've, I don't walk into a dark room and then out of nowhere, light just starts appearing by itself. It takes something external to eradicate darkness with light. Something from the outside. Something from, with, from not from within, but from without. You know, the answer to your problem is not, well, it's just in your heart. No, it's from God. Look to yourself. For the, no, look to God. There's too much of this world of looking inward, trying to find out who we're supposed to be. You want to know who you're supposed to be? Look to God. Looking inward to yourself is only going to mess you up even worse, right? Look to God. He's where the light comes from. He's where the light shines. And he's given you the right to do that, to be born of God. It's tremendous. 
I love everything about it. I love the fact that it doesn't say that it's dependent on how good I can be, because I can't. I love the fact that it's not dependent on how religious I can be, or how smart I can be, or how talented I can be, or how tall I can be, or whatever. You insert whatever you, whatever you doubt about yourself. None of that matters to God. You're born of God. And when you're born of God, his light shines on you. This morning, I'm asking you, have you done that? Have you opened up your heart and let the light of God shine in on all of it? Are you ready to do that this morning? Or have you been protecting some darkness for whatever reason you do it? Hey, if you've been protecting that darkness, Jesus gives you the opportunity right now to just let it go, to let his light shine, because it's better in the light. It's better in the light. So as we pray, I want to ask you to do that and know that it might be scary for some of us. Because that stuff that's in that darkness, it's, it's lied to us all these years and told us that we need it. Keep, we need to keep it safe. We need to keep it hidden. But the moment that you expose it, there's that flash and that shock of what does that mean. But right behind that is the grace and love and warmth of a God that shows you that no matter what you've ever done, his love for you is stronger. No matter what you've hidden away in the darkness, he's already seen it. And he loves you anyway. That flash of truth that says it's better out here in the light. And the invitation to step into it. This could be your morning, some of you. This could be the morning where it all comes together. I want you to read ahead into into the next part of John's gospel. Prepare yourself. Mike's going to talk about about John the Baptist a little bit more next week and and dig into that fascinating stuff. So interact with this. You know where we're going to be. We're not keeping it a secret. There's no like flashy acronyms that one gets revealed, you know, week to week. It's just faithful. See what God does. Cultivate that desire for studying scripture. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. For the light that you shine on our hearts. God. For those of us here Lord that still keep something protected from you. And hidden from you. God may we. Just let it fall away. So that your light of truth and love and grace and peace. Can shine on us. God may we be people. Who recognize you. And who love light. More than darkness. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.